electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC, or tweet me at Jim Kramer. People so often miss the forest through the trees, especially on days like today where the Dow inched up 44 points. That's be advanced 0.12%. That's like decline 0.22%. The trees that get in the way are the individual bank stocks that just reported that we heard about all day. The ones that are graded on arcane line items like net interest margin, net charge offs. Then the cognoscenti rate them. J.P. Morgan versus Goldman Sachs yesterday. Wells Fargo today versus Citibank. It's a parlor game played by big institutions. That means little regular people like you. Unless you're trying to rat out your portfolio with some bank stock that you think is poised to run. Oh, we can play that game, too. Wells Fargo was the star. Hey, that's maybe because, that's the, because it was the worst, and now it's getting better. A lot of room for improvement there. Maybe it's Goldman Sachs. It had the biggest upside surprise. But what really matters aren't the individual stocks at all or their earnings. They're the trees. It's the forest itself or what the banks can tell us about the rest of the economy right now. They have such a great handle on it. They are nationwide and no more. I tell you, they know more than everyone, including the Fed. My takeaway, America is incredibly rich right now. The pandemic has transformed us, transformed us from a nation of chronic overspenders, taking down credit card debt well beyond our means. They know nothing. Into a nation of miserly but happy savers with the best consumer balance sheets, get this, in history. That's what happens when you get money from the government in a moment when there's nothing to spend it on except for Amazon Prime. I think we're at an inflection point where consumer spending can truly ramp up and ramp to a totally unexpected positive level, especially with millions of parents getting their child tax credits just this week. I mean, that's the forest, too. Now, some of the banks talked about how consumers are in such good shape that they're poised to borrow some money. Eh, I'm lukewarm on that whole thesis. But I do believe the forest includes continued home buying. However, 
That's now tied up with mortgage rates. Right now, they're incredibly low. But when you bet on housing, you'll end up dreading every slight uptick in rates. The House of Pain. I think we can do better than that. House of Pleasure. Which is why I want to focus on the things that Americans spend their money on when their coffers are this full. And again, they've never been this full. Let's start with what things people do when they got a lot of money. You know what they do? First, they travel. And that's especially true of younger people. Bank of America pointed out to me that there was an 8% increase in travel. What, versus last year when no one was going anywhere? No, versus 2019 when we were in boom times. Not 2020 when the pandemic tore us apart. The implications. It means the airlines can still be bought, including American and Delta, which will soon be profitable. International flights haven't even come back yet. So they got a ton of room to improve. I can't believe I'm recommending airlines. But you know what? I like the American Air at 12. Some might argue that these stocks have moved up too much, but I think there's actually plenty of runway. My favorite airline, Delta, surged to $52 when the vaccines became widely available in March. It's now at 40. Americans sunk from 26 to 20 over the same period. They're both too good to ignore. But my favorite way to play a flush and feisty consumer, don't leave home without, is American Express. I want you to think of it as a play on travel, on airline tickets, and perhaps most important, on dining out. Do not worry about business travel. You got dining out travel. Longer term, Amex is a pent-up demand play on going overseas. Even though the stock's only down a couple of points from its highs, you, got to, you have time to, to wait for a dip. Why? Because American Express doesn't report until Friday of next week. Now, what happens when people go out? Well, you probably want to look good, right? I mean, younger people love sites like Poshmark, the online marketplace for secondhand apparel and accessories. We had them on the show last week. The company's got great financials and a compelling growth story. There's even a green component because buying this stuff used to be uh, is it, it, what's much better for the environment. No landfill here. Poshmark's come down a great deal from 104 to 38. And it really jives with the consumer's newfound thriftiness. What else? Well, when the consumer has a terrific balance sheet, Some exotics can take off, too. For example, when the average American was in way worse financial shape, boat sales were much bigger. Yeah, even though we learned how much fun they can be last year thanks to the need for COVID-safe outdoor vacations. Powerboat sales still aren't back to where they were 20 years ago when we were in the middle of a dot-com-led recession. That's why I like Brunswick, B.C., with a complete line of boats from starters to killers. Although Brunswick's boats cost a lot of money and tend to be bought on credit, it's very easy for Americans to get credit right now. Stocks stalled out in May when Wall Street started worrying that interest rates would rise and choke off anything that depends on financing. That didn't happen, but the stock tumbled from 117 to 97. At this price, I think Brunswick should be bought. It's only at 12 times earnings, but that's a sign that people think the earnings are going to collapse. I don't think so. How about more derivatives? People with good balance sheets want to splurge. I'm looking at Best Buy for big screen TVs. Many on Wall Street think this story is played out, but I don't buy it, especially after watching Black Widow at home this weekend. You know what? That was a good movie. The stock's come down from 128 to 110 in the last couple of months. It's got great management. People getting big screen TVs now are not early adopters. They need the geek squad. Count me in, especially with that 2.5% yield cushion and a great CEO, Corey Barry. Reverse sheet, try Kramer fave. Costco, near its highs, but isn't it always? There's an amazing thing about Costco, pricing. They're not trying to make a fortune off you. When they, look, when they sell you a bottle of Camus, my personal fave, with a tiny markup versus what they pay for it, well, what's Costco doing? They're trying to make it up in volume. They want satisfied members who pay their annual fees and buy in bulk. It fits right in. 
When younger people are flush, they buy furniture. They go to West Elm, belongs to Swim, Sonoma. When older people are flush, it's off to RH with a collection of astonishing fixtures and furniture. I defy you to go to one of their galleries and not buy something. I used to think that if I could keep my wife away from RH galleries, we could afford it. Turns out they have a website and they deliver and they even assemble. It's put a real dent in the family balance sheet. Finally, when you got money, well, you want to see what what Apple's got for you, right? Can you get a new phone by switching carriers? Why not go to T-Mobile, which you know is a stock I like, or even a reseller? Or, or you could just go to the Apple store. And lately, we've been hearing that the stores aren't doing well. Well, that's, that's not true. That, that's like hearing that Apple's component suppliers aren't doing well. That's, that wasn't true either. There's always someone making this argument, even as the stock market is relentlessly higher. There are always people trying to get you to trade it. To trade it. When the stock was at 116 in March, they were hearing all sorts of stories about there were just supply, they were cutting orders to suppliers. Some people actually came on TV, said there were no catalysts. Apple stock closed at $149 today. Speaking of suppliers, when Apple does well, what else does well? How about Qualcomm? How about Broadcom? How about Skywork Solutions? Don't forget, when you buy an iPhone, you probably also sign up for a bunch of subscription services, giving Apple years of service revenue. Do you know what I think they may actually grant my wish and break out the lifetime value of the average customer this quarter? Hey, they did it to service revenue. Bottom line. When it comes to bank earnings season, don't get too hung up on the individual trees. Wells Fargo, which is my favorite, Citigroup, Goldman Sachs, J.P. Morgan. Instead, focus on the forest, what they're telling you about the state of the consumer. Americans are in fabulous financial shape right now, which means we're going to spend a lot of money when we climb out of our COVID foxholes. So prepare your portfolio accordingly. We need to take some questions. Why don't we uh, let's start with Mark in Florida. Mark. Hi, Jim. I hope you're well. Oh, thank you, Mark. That's the best I've done so far. What's going on? Uh, when I saw your conversation with the CEO of Roblox, it sounded like a great situation. So I bought some, and later on I bought some more. Then it was sued for using, using music without permission and came to an agreement with BMG. The active users at $43 million are up year over year, but Roblox continued to drop, and now Benchmark has issued a sell recommendation. Well, that's because the, mar- the numbers for last month weren't that good. I was, quite frankly, disappointed. I think Roblox is a great story. I'm betting that it was just one month bad, but that's why it went down. Not that lawsuit. We got to remember that they do issue numbers, and the numbers were not up to what we wanted. How about Doug in, in Utah? Doug. Hi, Jim. Booyah. Hey, Doug. Booyah. What's up? I'm retired, and I'm interested in Magellan MMP. It was very good to me 10, 12 years ago. Right. Well, okay, so MMP is run very, very well. Okay, it's run by Mr. Mears. It's an oil. uh, Look, here's what you need to know about it. It's a master limited partnership. It has 11 times earnings. I think the yield is a good one. But I have to tell you, these stocks are still hated even after all their time in the wilderness. So I want you to urge. I want to urge caution. Why? Because my travel trust, which I often talk about doing good, lost a lot of money in MMP. How about Brad in Maine? Brad. Hi, Jim. This is Brad from Maine. I, uh, I own uh, Snowflake and would like to add more. Buy more now. I like that. No, no, yes. The answer is I've been waiting for someone to ask about Snowflake because it's very, very, very good. And I think it's going to go higher. I think it's bottom. On the MMP, I want to be careful. It's refined product. It's gasoline. I want to tell you to buy it because the 8% yield. But again, I lost... The MLPs are out of favor, but it is run by Mr. Mears, and I'd love to have him come back on the show. I don't want you to get hung up on the uh, uh, about the trees and miss the forest. 
The farce is telling us that America is a country full of people in great financial shape. And that means we're ready to spend. And here's your list. Write it down. Oh, man, tonight, you called and you stumped me on a... No, I'm not telling you because I want you to watch the whole show, but I got a $5 winner turning in my homework on this home automation company to see if it could make a smart home investment. Then Match.com stock is taking a bit of a breather on the Wall Street dating game. Could now be the perfect time to swipe right, which I guess has, must have some reference to do with, I, I don't know, um, like, what do I do? I go like this? Does anything happen? If I go, yeah, I got a story about Bank of America. Now, is that what happens? I'm taking a closer look. And last night, off the chart signal that oil could be running out of steam. But what does the sector look like beyond the technical analysis? I'm going straight to the source and talking to one of the smartest guys in the group. So stay with... Wait, U.S. stocks waiver? Am I doing something wrong? Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Before we get into the heart of earnings season, we need to catch up on our homework because, after all, this is the most interactive show on television. Hey, by the way, also on Twitter, where I famously like to really help the mean people get it right, Jimmy Chill loves to help the memesters. Anytime I get a question on this show that I can't answer, I promise to come back to you. 
And with a considered response, and tonight I've got another one for you. I don't like to just cuff it. Okay, it's like, hey, I like that stuff. Three weeks ago, Richard in Missouri asked about a company called Arlo Technologies. I didn't know Arlo Technologies from Arlo Guthrie. Now, this is a tiny company with a $485 million market cap and a $5 and change stock. I wasn't familiar, but I said I'd do some research. And you know what? You can do a lot worse. Yep, Arlo is real interesting. It's got some things going for it. Arlo is a company that makes connected consumer products, especially home security hardware. Think cameras, video, doorbells, video floodlights. Uh, They've also got a bunch of accessories like solar panels that can power their cameras. Arlo pairs all this hardware with an app that lets its customers live stream footage from the security system. It sends you notifications when their gear detects motion or sound. On top of that, you can use the app to remotely disarm the security system or immediately contact emergency services. When I read about this, I said to myself, hey, I got to get this. I mean, I, I love the lights coming on and the video door. But I mean, look, I know that Apple has stuff and, you know, you can get it from Google. But this is really dynamite. All right. Well, there's nothing really revelatory. It's a solid set of products. More important, though, in recent years, Arlo has been making a big push into services. For example, they've got a paid subscription service that adds artificial intelligence capabilities to their cameras. Basically, they use real-time computer vision algorithms to do a better job of detecting things that shouldn't be there. Last year, they even launched a software as a service security offering for business clients. Sounds pretty good. But Arlo Technologies trades at five bucks and change, which means what? Something must be wrong with it. Stocks don't go to single digits unless there's a problem or they're British. So what's Arlo's problem? This is a company that was spun off by Netgear in August of 2018. The IPO priced at 16 bucks and the stock jumped to the low 20s. Right out of the gate. But then things went downhill in a hurry. When analysts started launching coverage on the stock, they had all sorts of discouraging things to say about how Arlo is facing stiff competition for some of the largest technology companies. Amazon's Ring, Google's Nest, less than ideal. At the same time, by the summer of 2018, we had a bunch of consumer tech hardware meltdowns. And there, yeah, I want you to think Fitbit heavily shorted, GoPro heavily shorted. It didn't help that even after the IPO, Netgear still owned 84% of Arlo. I am always warning you about companies where one investor controls way too much stock, and Arlo is exhibit A for why that's a problem. See, in November of 2018, Netgear decided to dump its entire stake in Arlo via special stock dividend, where they foisted the whole thing off on their shareholders. Many of them chose to sell immediately. They didn't know what they got. It's like, Arlo? I mean, what's Arlo? And that sent the stock into this tailspin. Okay, so it was just a very poorly timed, poorly executed dump. And, hey, the sellers made the right call because in early 2019, Arlo issued a door outlook that sent the stock to the low single digits. From there, this thing has well, it was mostly been forgotten about, bouncing between $250 and $5 uh, for the next year and a half as the company toiled away in the ultra-competitive security hardware business. So what's changed? Well, the hardware market still stinks especially when you're a tiny independent player competing against Google and Amazon. That's why early last year, Arlo pivoted towards services. These guys always had a service business, but, basically, but really, historically, they did a very bad job of turning hardware buyers into subscribers. The company used to give the new customers a 30-day free trial of their service package. 
but they only had an astoundingly small 5% conversion rate. So Arlo decided to get a little smarter, or something could say ruthless. They changed the policy. Now you get a 90-day free trial, but after that trial ends, your devices lose a bunch of functionality, unless you become a paid subscriber. Lo and behold, they now have an astounding 50% conversion rate. In the most recent quarter, the total number of paid accounts grew by 115% year over year. And that is really good. Even better, it keeps accelerating, which is why I was like, what is this doing at five? Starting last summer, Arlo began to report a series of better-than-expected numbers. Quarter after quarter, the sales are coming in higher than anticipated, and the earnings losses, well, the losses, are shrinking. As CEO Matthew McCray, who I definitely went on the show, says, clearly Arlo is not the same company it was a year ago. In 2020, we successfully pivoted to become a services focus uh, to create uh, a, a more predictable, more profitable business, and our strong Q1 results are further proof of our progress. Well, i got to tell you, he's absolutely right. When Arlo first made that pivot, they introduced a couple new key indicators, paid accounts, paid accounts growth, both of which are looking great. At the same time, they're consistently delivering better than expected sales and earnings. But this thing has no promotion whatsoever on Wall Street. Now, initially, Arlo got a lot of credit for its new business model. Stock bottomed at a buck twenty in March of last year. Wow. And by and by this February, it peaked at ten dollars and change. We're talking about a rally of nearly eight hundred percent here. Since then, though, the stock has pulled back to under six bucks. Okay, worrisome decline, but I got to tell you, we search and we search and we search, and we can't find any reason, really, we can't find any reason why it went from there to there. There was no meaningful explanation for this pullback. On the other hand, I can't find a decent explanation for why the stock spiked up to 10 bucks in February, I either way, except it was like maybe a meme thing, short sell or squeeze, you know, all that usual. After that, I think this pullback this spring was all about the rotation out of biggest winners into reopening plays, which Arlo is decidedly not. Still, it is darn enticing. Caveats. First off, oil has been making good progress pivoting to services, but it still gets 72% of its sales from hardware. That's way too much. Tech hardware tends to be a bad business. It's been better over the last year, but we cannot count on it. Second, while Arlo's margins have improved and improved dramatically, it's still a money loser. I am confident it can reach profitability soon, but I sure wish it was making money now. That said, with a stock under six bucks, you have got my blessing to buy Arlo for speculation. The company's doing a great job of reinventing itself. In the meantime, I think the stock is ridiculously cheap. Get these statistics. Arlo has a $485 million market cap. It has $177 million of cash and equivalents on the balance sheet. It has no debt. Given that Arlo is expected to generate $413 million in sales this year, the stock is trading just 1.2 times sales, really less than one time sales when you back out the cash. Plus, with that tiny market cap, it could be a juicy takeover target for somebody trying to consolidate. The bottom line, Richard, in Missouri, you have shown me and you've got horse sense. Arlo Technologies was a bad company that's transforming itself into a good one. While it's not there yet, you got to buy it ahead because it's absolutely going in the right direction. And Wall Street loves these self-improvement stories. At less than one-time sales, I think it's very compelling. But it is speculative. Do not put your retirement money in something this small. But it may be perfect for some bad money. Stick with it. The heart wants what it wants. What all Kramer wants is to make you money. Is romance back open for business? Markets are for lovers. Next. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range, 
and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. I'm often asked, if you had to buy a stock for the ultimate opening of America, what would you buy? And I got to tell you, with roughly half the country vaccinated, closer to 70 percent in some states, the world is going back to normal as people who've been immunized seem undeterred by the Delta variant. By the way, if you're not vaccinated, you're going to get COVID. Just so you know that that's how bad Delta is. All right, but a back to normal set, kind of setting has a very specific meaning for some of the biggest victims of the COVID restrictions. People who had the misfortune of being single when the virus locked everything down. It means, well, now they can date again. Yep, I lived through the original summer of love, by the way, and I'm betting 2021 gives it a run for its money. Which brings me back to one of my favorite companies, a company called Match. It's the online dating kingpin behind Tinder, along with a host of other mass market platforms like Match.com, Hinge. I, I, I know someone who met a, a boyfriend on Hinge and just like, sings the praise of it. I didn't even know what it was. I was Hinge. I was, I, you know, like I'm thinking I'm at Home Depot. Um, they got plenty of fish. That's one like my mom used to say, there's plenty of fish, Jim. Don't worry about it. And not to mention some demographic-specific offerings. They got a Christian dating site, a black dating site, a Latino dating site, and an over-50 dating site. I'm married. Oh, she doesn't even know I have a show. It's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm fine. Now that earnings season has gotten rolling, I think Match can put up some spectacular numbers when they report in a little less than three weeks. Some of that's because this is a fabulous company, one that we've liked for ages, all the way back to when it was a subsidiary of IAC Interactive Corp. But a lot of it comes down to the fact that this should be a terrific environment for online dating. And Match, uh, guys, it's the best way to play it. Last year, this stock got cut in half when countries all over the world started locking down to cope with the pandemic. Made sense, right? Matches a global operation. Only 47% of its revenue comes from the U.S. I thought it was mostly a U.S. company initially, but I've learned otherwise. However, the company quickly got its group back, coming up with new ways to keep its business going during COVID, like virtual dates. By this February, the stock had tripled from its pandemic lows, but then the the turbocharged growth cohort went out of style on the Wall Street fashion show, and Match spent a few months trading sideways, not plummeting, trading sideways. In mid-June, though, you see, it wasn't so bad. In mid-June, though, the stock got a new lease on life, and I'm betting it's now got a lot of room to run. I really, really like this one. Why am I so confident? I think the last year and a half has demonstrated that Match is an incredibly well-run company. Last spring, we were terrified that their business would collapse due to COVID. Made sense, right? Between masks and social distancing and everything being closed, how was anyone supposed to date? But even in the first quarter of 2020, Match proved the doubters wrong. Just, I mean, unbelievable. While people were meeting up, they weren't meeting. I'm sorry. When people weren't meeting up, users were spending a lot more time talking to each other on their online dating platforms, including a major surge in live video for virtual dates. 
Eventually, the company got a surge in new users as they retooled all of their brands for the pandemic. When COVID got particularly bad in one region, Match would focus its advertising somewhere else. In the end, the company had an astounding 12% subscriber growth in 2020. That's pretty impressive. The shorts, by the way, thought it would be a huge, a huge decline. Meanwhile, there was another major development for these guys last year. They formally separated from IRC Interactive, Barry Diller's house of digital brands that acts as a kind of incubator and does a good job. They created Match, then spun it off as a publicly traded subsidiary. Then last year, IRC finally sold their entire position, making Match fully independent. Definitely a positive. Match has left the nest. Now let's talk about the post-pandemic environment. When the company last reported in early May, they delivered a stellar set of numbers, 23% revenue growth over the year-over-year, 12% subscriber growth, bringing the total to 11.1 million subscribers, average revenue per user up 9%, Tinder, their biggest brand, saw 15% average subscriber growth. The non-tender brands only had 8% subscriber growth. But they're becoming a lot more lucrative with average revenue per user up 18%. These guys are pulling every lever. Put it all together and match operating income. The earnings before interest and taxes grew at an astounding 38% operating income. This is the number you should be focused on because this is what makes me feel uh, that the number that they're going to report it's going to be better than expected. Of course, some of that had to do with easy year-over-year comparisons. But remember, Match held up surprisingly well during the pandemic. So the comparisons aren't that easy. Their biggest problem last year was that users seemed reluctant to pay for premium services. However, with society reopening, those average revenue per user numbers are soaring. Better monetization means that Match's earnings are growing faster than its sales, especially in places like North America with high vaccination rates. Even better, Match gave us some fabulous guidance for the next quarter, talking about 22 to 24 percent revenue growth. This is a big company. Match was saying that they believe they'll hit the higher end of the previous full year sales and earnings forecast. I think those numbers could prove to be too low because the summer 2021, as I mentioned, is indeed the summer of love, at least here in the U.S. Match's most important market. Last week, analysts at Cowan published an online dating survey that showed a massive uptick in people using these services in the second quarter. We're talking about a 50 percent increase for Tinder alone. We've seen similarly bullish channel checks from analysts at KeyBank and Morgan Stanley, too. Put it all together and all signs point to a very strong quarter for Match Group, which is exactly what you'd expect. Of course, it's not just a great reopening. I liked Match before the pandemic, and I think I'll continue to like it after the summer of love comes to an end. CEO Char Dubey took over about a year and a half ago. Oh, done it. Just a fantastic job. She's got a house of separate online dating brands. She and her team are adept at taking lessons learned from one business, then applying them to the rest of the company. And that's huge right now because Match is seeing a staggered comeback. Regions with high vaccination rates are putting up incredible numbers, while the rest of the world takes longer to recover, as you can imagine. That means the company can take what it's learning in the U.S. right now and then apply it to everywhere else once these countries catch up to us in terms of immunity. What else? Earlier this year, Match spent more than $1.7 billion to buy HyperConnect, a South Korean video and audio chat company with a terrific instant translation feature. I think investors are underestimating the power of this particular deal, and not just because the financials are terrific, although they are. At Morgan's, um, as Morgan Stan- Stanley's Lauren Shank points out, Match is getting some incredible technology here that will immediately improve their video chat offerings worldwide. It gives them a whole new way to monetize the rest of their dating platforms. HyperConnect has a video chat app 
and social live streaming app that enables group video and audio broadcast. These are so-called social discovery apps, and that's a much bigger business than just online dating. Plus, Match is getting a huge foothold in East Asia here, as HyperConnect's main chat app has been downloaded half a billion times since the result rolled out just in 2014. Finally, 70% of HyperConnect's users are under 30, meaning they're also getting a major foothold with Generation Z. Shank says you should think of it as a feeder brand for Match's online dating offerings. Here's the bottom line. Even before the pandemic, online dating was a powerful secular growth trend. And after millions of Americans were subjected to over a year of forced celibacy, I'm betting Mash Group is about to make a killing. That's why I like the stock going into earnings in early August. While Match is far from cheap, I bet it'll look a lot less expensive in retrospect if I'm right. And they blow away the numbers. You go in Florida. You go. Kramer, thanks for taking the time. Quite welcome. I was wondering... I was wondering your thoughts on CCL or CUK and the historical oil price chart you had on last night, petroleum being 10% of the expense for cruise ships. Yeah, you think you know, is- it, you know, it absolutely is. It, the fuel does matter. Fuels matter for every one of them. But what really matters to me is a lawsuit that Frank Del Rio and Nor- Norwegian Cruise filed to basically make it so you can either su- uh, sail safe or sail not safe. And I've got to tell you, with the Delta variant and with Lambda coming, you buy Norwegian Cruise. They figured this darn thing out. I am loving match going into earnings. You might call it a match made in heaven. Ha ha ha. Much more mid money ahead. How could record heat and worldwide demand impact the oil market? And where are the oil companies positioned to start pumping? I'm going to talk to man in the middle. Then I'll tell you why the hypocrisy needs to be put aside when criticizing the Fed. And of course, all your calls are rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. After yesterday's red-hot CPI reading, everybody's even more focused on inflation. However, over the last couple of months, nearly every commodity started coming back down in price, with just a couple of major exceptions. And you know what they are, the stubborn oil and gas prices. Last night, we went off the charts with Carly Garner. She said oil's a dead man walking. Considering that it dropped 3% today, she's off to a good start. But at the end, I'm not a chart guy. I'm a fundamentalist. If you want to understand the fundamentals of the oil market, you need to speak to the best energy analyst in the business. That's why we're checking in with an old friend of the show, Rusty Brazil. He's the founder and principal energy markets consultant for RBN Energy, star of RBNEnergy.com, because he knows everything there is about the oil patch. I start every day reading his bulletin, usually at 6 a.m. Rusty, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, great to be with you again. Rusty, you had a fabulous piece to start my morning which was basically that the balance sheets of the oil companies are good. My interpretation, which I shot to you immediately, means if they're good, maybe they're going to start drilling again. And, you know, that tips supply. And that's exactly right. Uh, so what's happened, of course, is that prices are up and therefore these guys are, 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 are generating a lot of cash flow. That cash flow is going back into repay debt, uh, which means their borrowing base is improving. They can raise money. And what we saw today, by the way, was out of the uh, Department of Energy, a crude oil production is now up uh, 600,000 barrels a day over the past just six weeks. So it's not getting a lot of noise out there, but it already looks like it may be starting to happen, at least at some level. Now, Rusty, you often tell me that there are a lot of wells that have been drilled, but they're just not being 
uh, pump, pumping right now. So if they wanted to, they can turn the spigot on pretty hard. Well, uh, and some of that's already happened. Uh, so uh, that, that's called ducks, drilled but uncompleted wells. And at, uh, at, at really six, eight months ago, there were a lot of ducks there. Uh, uh, many of that, uh, those ducks have been actually completed over the past uh, a few months. And so what you've seen is that's one of the reasons why production is starting to creep back a bit. So, again, it's happening the way it ought to. The economics are there. If you look at the discounted cash flow rate of return that a producer can make uh, in the Permian today, it's somewhere between 50 and 70 percent DCF ROI. I mean, these guys can make some serious money at these kind of prices. Now, we know and you have been adamant that the curve has not really changed the backwardation. If I were an oil company, uh, wouldn't I want to just be the seller of those futures that the the uh, commodity, uh, the COD report shows me are being bought by big speculators? Well, and and some of the producers have. As a matter of fact, one of the reasons why production is probably not up more than it is is because some producers sold short or sold so forward uh, a, a, a few months back. And therefore, they're not getting the benefit of the 70, you know, 70 some odd dollar crude oil prices that we're seeing here today. But I tell you what, uh, uh, if, if I was a producer looking at the prices that we had today and looking at the shape of the forward curve, I'd certainly be selling forward over the next couple of years uh, just because there is a lot of production that could come back on in the market, both here and, of course, uh, in the Middle East. You know, Middle East, uh, the OPEC plus, no resolution. Is that just really a canard? They want it right. They kind of want it around here. So there's no deal. Uh, no, I mean, they, they, it looks like that they reached a deal today. Uh, so from everything that we can see, it looks like that UAE and the Saudis have made a deal to basically split the difference. Uh, and that uh, they have uh, that they're going to have to submit to the entire membership, of course. But what that will mean is that production uh, out of OPEC plus will be increasing about 400,000 barrels a day each month for the next few months. Uh, and and uh, from what we can tell, as long as the uh, as long as we're not seeing a resurgence uh, of COVID from the Delta variant, then most likely uh, the, the market will be able to absorb it. Wow. I, OK, that means, though, it would seem to be an equilibrium. I wouldn't want to go. I think long so. And, right and that's here. a good word. I, that, okay. That's the, that's exactly the way we see it is we're probably in an equilibrium right now. And we're probably going to rock along, you know, somewhere in the 60s to low 80s for a while. So we're, we're I think we're at a new normal. In other words, you and I have been talking about this for a long time. And I've always said that uh, that whenever prices get up at this level, then production is going to come up back so strong. It's going to drive uh, prices back down into the. 40s or 50s. That doesn't look like that's going to happen again. Wow. Okay. Now, natural gas uh, up unnaturally, but you've been writing some. uh, We did talk about this. We did say that one day maybe we'll be exporting so much that we won't be able to catch up. Uh, Right. And uh, we are exporting a lot. We're up to about 10 BCF a day as as of right now. Uh, Last year, if you recall, uh, natural gas exports were way off. We were only about three or four BCF a day this time last year because there was so little demand in the rest of the world for U.S. gas. So lots of cargos were being canceled at the time. It is totally the opposite this year. Uh, there is uh, more than uh, more than enough demand uh, for U.S. Uh, natural gas LNG exports, and therefore we're exporting as absolutely as much as we can. Therefore, prices are more than double what they were a year ago today. 
but and but the market has has got a, a a real capability to balance itself out. So because prices are hap- are higher, what's really gone on is that uh, uh, that uh, uh, the, the the power generators have shifted off to a cheaper fuel than natural gas. And you want to know what that is? Oh, not coal. coal. Yeah, oh. so that's what's going on. We've actually seen a shift from power from power generation off onto more using more coal, and that means some of the increase in demand for natural gas has come off. So again, it kind of looks like we're back into an equilibrium. Holy cow! Well, it's uh, you know from my point of view, you and I always work well together. I'm I'm thinking to myself, CSX, Union Pacific, Norfolk Southern. That's how we're going to make some money right now, Rusty. It is always great to have you on the show. People should be doing what I do. You start the day with RBNEnergy.com, but th- but don't bother when I do because the email is with me at that moment, not not you, Rusty. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Great to see you. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate you having me. Right. You see all this scuttlebutt and skinny you got in that equilibrium for oil, natural gas. They're switching to coal. That means you buy the rails. May have money's back into the. Stick around. May I make a suggestion? I would stay with him. The lightning round is coming up next. It is time to stop the lightning And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski Dagger, the right wing cover of us over Salem in New York. Salem! Hey, Jim, a pleasure to speak with you. Um, I really love investing in green energy products, and I put some money into a product a couple months ago. Then I got a note from some legal firm talking about securities action, but this company's involved with biodiesel. The, the symbol is R. Oh, the securities action is not – these things are just – I wish I could say that they're a ways to make a lot of money, but they're really a way to make a lot of money for lawyers. But I think that company is good. I can't believe it's flatlining. I say bye. Let's go to Sandeep in California. Sandeep. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah. Uh, I, I really thank you for all your advice. Uh, I had a question. You had recommended or uh, we had discussed about AGC some time back on Mad Money, and I think the stock has come well, down. Well, that's crap. That's crap. And uh, it's funny because Ben, I think it's crap. I mean, there's so many of these. But that's what I remember this. Um, and, and I got to tell you something. Uh both Ben Stoto and I and I were talking today about how great grab could be. Uh, I, I, I think that was actually a good one. Lauren in New York, Lauren. Hey, Kramer. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Uh, I'm a long-term investor. I'm a big fan of financials and value dividend names, and I'm looking to diversify within the sector. Uh, looking for your thoughts on Hercules Capital, ticker HPGC. I want to look into that for you because it's got a 7% yield. Maybe it does too much mezzanine lending, and those have often been difficult. We will have to come back and analyze the balance sheet of them before we make a decision. And you go to Sam in Colorado. Sam! Hi, Jim. Calling you from beautiful, sunny Gunnison, Colorado. Hey, we had a home um, run in the, in the, uh, the Derby. So something went right yeah. for the Phillies. It was really great. Yeah. It's, look, well, it's, like, be thankful like for sports. Okay, go ahead. I'd like to give a shout-out to uh, uh, my hometown of Lower Marion. Uh, especially all the responsible Tesla drivers. Anyway, my question is about um, an emerging buy now, pay later um, point of sale payment solution merchant. Um, I'm talking about a firm holdings. Uh, recently, stocks came under fire. I, I, I was stunned yesterday that when Apple said it might do buy now, pay later, that suddenly a firm went down. I mean, a firm is a good company, for heaven's sake. It's starting to really bug me. 
I think Max Levch is a very smart fella. I followed him from the beginning. I am a buyer at the $56 level, Mike in North Carolina. Mike. Jim, thanks for taking my call. Oh, really course, appreciate Mike. it. Look, you can't print gold. Barrett Gold. Barrett Gold. Um, look, okay, so things happen. Boy, that's profound. Um, this guy, uh, look, it's Mark, it's Mark Bristow. It's really hostage to gold. Gold peaked. I like it. I think you should own it. I said a lot of stocks that I like today, huh? And that, ladies and conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, is buy and scold a strategy more copper than gold? Kramer coins a new one next. Take control of your financial future with the new madmoney.cnbc.com. Kramer's exclusive CEO interviews, full episodes, analysis, even your own soundboard. Plus special access to Mad Money 101 with rules and techniques to break down the market for all investors. The red flag that makes me drop a stock immediately is... It's everything you need right when you need it. The new madmoney.cnbc.com. Forget buy and hold. This market's all about buy and scold. That's the only way to describe the hypocrisy of these money managers who trash-fed Chief Jay Powell for keeping its rates low. Then buy stocks hand over fist like nothing's wrong and we're in a fabulous bull market. These guys want to scaremonger about the dangers of inflation. They won't stop whining that Powell's whistling past the graveyard. But that doesn't stop them from betting on the market. They act like having your cake and eating it too is just the normal way of doing things. Think about it. How many times have you heard some hedge fund manager castigating Jay Powell for dumping gasoline all over a red-hot economy, burning everything to a crisp? And then they turn around and tell you they're buying the socks of Starbucks and Disney and Target to, to play the great reopening. It'd be one thing if they showed some self-awareness and said, hey, you know, I, I, I think the Fed is dangerously wrong, but Powell's not listening. So if you can't beat him, you have to join him. But I see zero self-awareness. You've got money managers frothing at the mouth about 70s style stagflation or Weimar Republic style hyperinflation. Then without a, a hint of irony, I, I know none about buying cyclical stocks that can't work without the Fed on their side, like J.P. Morgan, Caterpillar, or Ingersoll Rand. It drives me nuts, people. If they sincerely believe the rhetoric, they'd be 100% sure. Every time they criticize Powell, they're implying that the Fed will have to play catch up and slam the brakes so hard that the whole economy goes through the window. Or if you prefer an air, airplane analogy, they're talking about a hard landing where no one survives. Under that scenario, you should be shorting the banks, the industrials, the retailers, the energy stocks on every move up. Honestly, I believe the inflationistas, I, I, I really wouldn't want to own. If you if you were in their camp, you wouldn't want to own anything right now other than bonds, even down here. I wouldn't even touch big tech fang stocks, uh, even if inflation, inflation gets as out of control as these people say it's going to. But somehow you never hear these guys recommend that. They prefer to just buy and scold Jay Powell. How hypocritical are they? Well, back in May, the inflationists were warning that Powell has let the economy run so hot that you need to sell Lowe's and Home Depot as they'll be crushed by skyrocketing lumber prices. Yet they were carrying around their beloved Freeport Mipparan and Caterpillar like lovey blankets. They couldn't get enough Boeing, even though it's very clear the company's ridiculously undermanaged. Like they've handed the controls to the inflatable autopilot from Leslie Nielsen's airplane. 
In the meantime, the entire commodity complex has collapsed, uh, aside from oil and gas, both of which have been artificially boosted by supply constraints. Yet you never hear these inflation mongers come out and admit that Powell got commodities right, even if they still think that he's wrong on freight costs or wage inflation. Now, allow me to let you in on a little secret. As part of my third job as a restaurateur, I try to speak to as many food service compadres as possible. For the first time, for the first time in the last 10 days, I'm hearing that workers want to take jobs, lock in jobs, lock in these prices for fear they'll lose their bargaining power once the expanded unemployment benefits go away in the fall. Of course, we're seeing tons of stories about how companies can't find any burrito makers or truck drivers. But then again, it's barely worth it to get a job if you can sit at home and day trade, uh, buying AMC or trying to prop it up. And of course, trying to sit, uh, prop up GameStop, surviving off generous jobless benefits. I think that's transitory. Same goes for the semiconductor shortage. I expect a roughly 40% increase in the fully featured chips that we can't get enough of this moment. And you heard earlier in the show that natural gas can peak right here. Put it all together. And all these managers make dire, making dire predictions about inflation, I think you're going to have to eat some crow, probably with French's mustard, at least in theory. In practice, though, no one will ever hold them accountable other than right here, because they're busy, they've been busy spying and scolding, which means they won't miss out on the rally that they both say that they all say shouldn't even be occurring. Oh, and to be sure, when Powell goes to Congress and talks about hiring people at decent wages, as he did today, the inflationists listen in scorn. The last thing they want is decent wages for decent people, because decent wages mean less profit for them. Make no mistake, that's why they're so desperate for the Fed to slam the brakes on the economy. They want a weak job market with lots of cheap labor that's totally at their mercy so they can have bigger profits. Isn't it time that somebody else made money besides the rich? I say the hypocrisy must end, if only because it confuses regular people who are watching at home. If you really hate the Fed's easy money policies, you should own up to why you're buying so many stocks that need these policies in order to go higher. Otherwise, every time I see these people warning about the dangers of inflation, I just assume they're trying to knock down stocks in order to get a better entry point for themselves. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.